Welcome to the Pretty Young and Motivated Podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa, and today we're going to get a little serious on the podcast and talk about how to be an ally for the Black Lives Matter movement, racial injustice, and how to have difficult conversations with family or friends who may not agree with you. So I'm honored to have Nicole Triplett on as our guest. She is a winemaker, psychologist, social and racial justice advocate. So let's get to the episode. Hello, welcome to the Pretty Young and Motivated podcast. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on and taking this time to have this conversation with me. I think it's super important with everything happening in the world. So I appreciate your time. Well, thank you for inviting me on. So why don't we start with just having you give your background and share a little bit about yourself. I am a Kalamazoo native. My name is Nicole Triplett. I am a psychologist and marriage and family therapist. I've been practicing here in Kalamazoo for about the last probably 18 years. Um, And I have recently uh, become involved in a few other endeavors such as winemaking and social and economic injustice. Um, But for the most part, mental health has been my thing. So with everything happening in the world um, with COVID and social and racial injustice right now, and, you know, things happening throughout our history as well, I think there's some tough conversations to be had, not only with family, but with friends and hitting those head on and standing up for what you believe in um, and some of these topics that I feel shouldn't be controversial, but seem to be in certain conversations. So just to start out, what advice would you give to people that are trying to have these conversations and stand up for Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ, but I mean, with what's at hand right now, Black Lives Matter, and how do people stand up for that? and have those tough conversations with people that don't agree with them? Well, I think with, as with any tough conversation, we want to make sure that we're entering the conversation, not at a point where we are angry. So maybe first step, take a step back and kind of listen to where they're coming from, you know, keep calm, um, recognizing that they are coming from a certain space that might be uneducated or in defense of what they believe. Um, I think that a lot of people don't realize that the verbiage all lives matter is a problem because what it does is it refocuses the issue away from the systemic racism and black lives. It distracts and diminishes the message that black lives matter or that they should matter than more than what they do I should say all lives matter is it comes across as saying white lives matter because when white people think about all lives we automatically think about all white lives now that might not be what everyone feels but just to kind of step back and see how that could look so you know I think we're needing to say that Black Lives Matter because no one is really questioning whether white lives matter or whether police lives matter. But it's just a question of whether Black lives really matter. It's just an open 
country. We're not saying that it matters more. We're just basically stating that it matters. So I think people become uncomfortable in that conversation. And so then they're uncomfortable with relaying that to their family members for the backlash that they may receive. Yeah. And I like the analogy when we discussed prior to the episode um, of the endangered animals. Can you restate that? Because I think sometimes it's hard to see from your own point of view, but when you put it into a different perspective, maybe it's easier to understand the concept of why all lives matter doesn't make sense or doesn't help the movement. So what I sometimes I like to use as a analogy um, and it, it came, it came to me because obviously this is a very heavy topic. Everyone is taking a real hard stance on, on, on this, especially on social media. So sometimes it comes down to a person saying, we're not going to be friends on social media anymore. Um, and so before I just rush right into saying, okay, fine, you know, we're, we don't have to be, friends I do at least I don't try to educate but I do try to maybe give some insight and allow that person to take that insight or not so what happens is we all we say that all lives matter and of of course I believe that all lives matter most people of color, we agree that all lives matter. We also believe that all animals matter also. However, sometimes for some animals, there comes a point where their lives are more fragile. They are possibly becoming extinct. And so what we do with those animals, we take those animals and we build a reserve around them. We, we nurture them a little more. We acknowledge them a little more. We put certain rules, guidelines, gates, safeguards, nutrition. We put a whole new system in place for those animals because we want those animals to thrive. We want them to still be amongst the community of animals. So when we say Black Lives Matter, we're just saying, hey, pay attention to the lives that are most vulnerable right now and what we're saying is help us build a system help us raise our voices help bring acknowledgement and help recognize that hey there's a problem coming there's a problem going on here because we believe that at least at first if we at least recognize it on the very minimal level that the lives matter, then maybe we can turn around and do something about that to protect, to nurture, so that the people of color can survive and eventually operate in a world where we can truly say that all lives matter. Because all lives cannot truly matter if we are not paying attention to the lives of people of color. Exactly. And I think um, I'm guilty of somewhat taking up a privileged stance in throughout college as I was becoming more educated on political issues and things going on in social justice, I would cha- choose to take a back seat because I didn't want to get involved and I didn't want to necessarily pick a side or have people know my political views or know what I believe in. 
um, because I didn't want to be attacked for that. But in recent events and things going on, I've grown up a little bit and educated myself. um, And I'm still continuing to educate myself. But I've learned that not taking a stance for myself personally is not an option because not only what I'm doing with PYM, but in my life, I want to make an impact. And I think in order to do that, I have to take stances that might feel uncomfortable at first. Um, But in order for us to make any real changes, we have to, as you said, acknowledge what is there and acknowledge what is happening um, and to strive for that change and stand up for those statements that are wrong or try to stand up for those whose voices aren't being amplified or aren't being heard. So that's been a personal journey that I've been taking through all of this. And, you know, I'm using this platform in this current moment to to share that. But I also am continuing to educate myself as well, because I think really that's the first step that you can do if you're not really sure where to start is educate yourself. And as we talked about it, um, I, I like what you said about how when something is uncomfortable, you know, and you you're getting into a new passion or a new thing, you do what you have to do to take that stance. And I don't know, I'll let you elaborate on that. Cause once again, we talked about it offline. Um, but I think that's another important connector to get people understanding of how to gen- like genuinely be an ally or genuinely take interest in this. It kind of starts with them and the realization and the acknowledgement of it. Yeah. Um, I think what happens here is, I think a lot of time we've had the privilege of history. And so you can say as a non-person of color, what I would have done. We don't have that, comf- you know, that comfortable pillow of history because now you're having to be uncomfortable and deal with it and really put your money where your mouth is, I guess, as you would say, like now, I'm um, now is the time I no longer can have that cushion of history I need to do something and that that is an uncomfortable feeling if that's not what you are used to doing because now the safety net is 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 gone away and so right now is a true test of your ideals to stay silent is almost a betrayal in this hysteric in, in these historic times because we are making history and I think all of us want to be on the right side of history uh, when this comes down and hopefully it looks like we're going to be in the history books for 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 COVID and in <laughs> this great time with uh, George Floyd um, you it's, it's just time to organize and what when you feel uncomfortable what do you typically do in a situation where you feel uncomfortable, you try to learn more about it. You read more books, you follow pages, you get, you involve yourself in podcasts, you educate yourself so that you begin to understand more about that. And you begin to feel more confident in what you're speaking because you become more confident in your knowledge of that. So if you are feeling uncomfortable, I say, do what you would typically do in a situation where you're finding yourself uncomfortable about something. Go learn more. Break down that barrier. It's the same concept. It just feels more because now you have to make a great stance that many people might of your own 
color in your own family, they might be trying to debate that with you. You might lose family members. However, then you're faced with that question where you say, do I set that boundary and do I stand in what I believe in? Or am I telling myself, well, it's okay not to really speak out on that. But if they were to say this, then I'd really have some boundaries put around that. I'd really speak up about that. Yeah. And I think in the action of learning and educating yourself there in anything, there's discomfort. And I think that's what leads to change though. And even thinking about just in life and how we grow as people, we have to go through challenges and difficulties and discomfort and that's how we grow. And I think this applies to the same situation of just educating yourself feeling the discomfort and questioning your own beliefs and questioning why you're feeling uncomfortable with it and taking that as an initiative to continue learning and continue pushing. And as you said, set boundaries and what's going to be, where's the stances you're going to take and what are the things you're going to let go. Um, And I think that's important when having conversations with those who might not agree, especially family, because it can be difficult to draw the line there and know where to draw the line. And so I think that's really helpful advice for that. Yeah, I think that it's tough. I mean, I understand that it's tough because this is almost a situation where a lot of a lot of people feel there is no other choice. You know, that you either agree with this because something just are not okay, or you or we can't continue. But when we're talking in cases of employment or family members, it doesn't end up being that cut and dry because you, you loss of a family member, those severed relationships, they're, th- those are very important relationships that can impact other areas of our lives. So this is a true test of time and uh, uh, because you're being faced with decisions that you may not have been with before and so I would even even speaking to that I would even offer to say that is what a person of color faces almost every day those type of feelings those type of decisions and so maybe in that way you can be more relatable to acknowledging more of what's going on in the world today I'm not saying it's an easy task but at some point it seems like it's a necessary task. Yeah. And I think for me as a woman, a way that like even recently, as I've been moving through this, these feelings and moving through learning and being better um, and advocating for this, I just recently was standing outside of a business this past weekend and I was outside maybe for 10 or 15 minutes and I got cat called at least four times. And I think in my head, this was just a connection for me for some reason and I just realized that I, I didn't make that decision to be catcalled. I was wearing sweaty workout gym clothes. I was just standing outside because I was at a business with my boyfriend and he was in there shopping and I didn't want to be in there because of COVID. So I said, I'm just going to stand outside. But that became uncomfortable for me because I was being catcalled. But I didn't make that decision to be catcalled. I wasn't wearing anything that wasn't my fault. And I just realized like being a guy, probably specifically even a white male, like you don't really get any guy really doesn't necessarily get cat called very often if they do. And that's just one of those things I don't know is a connector in my mind that like, while people of color have these decisions and these uncomfortable feelings all the time where they don't get to choose 
what's happening to them. And I mean, that's just me as a female. That's something that a lot of women experience, but I don't know. I just put my privilege into perspective of even how people don't always choose the experiences they have. Um, and you don't get to choose when you don't have them. I don't choose when I get catcalled and I don't get to pick and choose when I want to be. Um, and so that just is an outside example, but that's just what really made me realize, I don't know, in a sense, my own privilege and how privilege can, how we can be naive to our own privilege or yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I commend you for even attempting the conversation and even, um, attempting to make those parallels in your life, you know, uh, most people of color are understanding, you know, you making those parallels at least shows that you are open to trying to understand on your own and you're not putting that emotional toll on a person of color to help you understand that as they're going through it. Um, I think that just holding each other accountable, standing in solidarity with people of color as we try to, move throughout the system these days um, I think those are some of the things that we need because we're going to need our voices to be amplified and you know listened to and just to help us carry some of that burden of changing the broken and unjust system and so thinking more on the aspect of mental health Um, what tips do you really have for people too during this time if they are feeling whether they're a person uh, person of I'm saying that backwards non-colored person um, or if they're if they are I think there's a lot of different feelings like mine my example is one where I'm trying to educate myself and I'm trying to be an advocate and actually stand up and actually be anti-racist and other times the people of color are currently going through this. And as you mentioned, the emotional burden or asking for help from them sometimes is just it it's in our own hands to make that change. So I guess the point I'm getting to is just even aspects of mental health. I know it's been a heavy time for me for all things and trying to still keep my mental health at the forefront. Um, but what advice do you have for that with not only having these conversations or working through a heavy time, but even with quarantine and covid Um, I think there's a lot of feelings happening right now. So I guess what is your best advice for taking care of your mental health? I think as, as always, you need to make sure that your mental health is first and that comes with a balance, some downtime. So although you definitely need to make it an ongoing commitment to an action to combat racism, It's not always going to be easy. However, you need to make a balance. You don't ever need to make anything your sole purpose, your sole mission. You always want to resist uh, racist violence and oppression, those type of issues. However, you don't necessarily have to feel that it needs to be a conflict. So backing away from the notion that if I speak up on this, there's going to be a conflict. What am I really fearing by speaking up on this? You know, taking some time and just dealing with your own emotions surrounding the issue, getting that balance of doing things to make sure that you're getting a a routine, especially during this time during COVID that includes some self-care in that. Make sure you're eating well, make sure you're going for walks, um, 
just making sure that you have that balance. Yeah. And I guess another thing that I have on here that I was wanting to ask is something I've heard is just, and, you know, I kind of did talk about it in my own stance previously and how I've changed my mind about getting involved. But some people say, I don't want to get involved. There's nothing that I can do. I'm not going to change anything. I'm just one person. So do you think this is a true statement or how do you, I mean, I, I don't think it's true, but I guess what is your take on when people say that they don't want to get involved because they don't think that they're able to make a change or able to make a difference, I guess? Well, I think that just embracing the discomfort, recognize that things aren't just colorblind. There are some implicit bias towards other races. Um, Consider how you treat other people. Um, Spend time with other people that aren't like you whether that be color, whether that be gender, um, sexual preferences, just kind of getting yourself out there and embracing that discomfort because there's there's some growth in embracing that and we want to always be growing. And so addressing what your real fear is about the discomfort that will help to kind of erase some of that because you're not wanting to get involved probably more so because of some fear of your own not that you don't think that you can produce a change because there are petitions that you could be signing through email you don't constantly have to be speaking about it but you could be going to your commissions you could be writing to your representatives. There are other things that you could be doing that aren't on the front forefront. So if you also even find yourself not doing those things, then there are some deeper questions. So I would say that it's not a question of there's nothing you can do. It's a question of why am I not doing that? Do I need to dig deeper into that? And also, once again, embracing that discomfort and recognizing that you are uncomfortable about that. So you can start to dig in and break down some of that discomfort. Yeah. And I think that's the important part is just the realization and acknowledging the discomfort, as you said, um, and being willing to make a change and taking an interest. And once again, I think that goes beyond just this situation. There's a lot of times that things happen socially and economically that we may want to take a stance on, but it might take taking a step back and evaluating it and educating ourselves before we can take a stance. And I do think that can be sometimes a cumbersome in certain aspects, not just this one particularly, but, you know, it can be a cumbersome process because to educate yourself, you don't just get it overnight. You don't just get it in a minute and decide that. And it does take on learning and learning, again, different aspects um, of any political or social issue. So I think that's really helpful to just acknowledge it and become self-aware, which can be difficult, as you said, once you, I mean, some people just aren't self-aware and they're not able to do that. But I think that's the biggest aspect is acknowledging where you currently are and, and just striving to be 
better and, and make a change for yourself and maybe not even for anybody else, but just for your own knowing your own good of what you've contributed. Exactly. Exactly. And so maybe these are like obvious, but, and I think I know some of the answers through some of my research and I don't want to ask you to necessarily educate um, because I know we've talked about how this is just a learning process for a lot of people and we're navigating it all differently. Um, But could you give, because I know a lot of questions come up of this, could you give a brief overview or some bullet point statements of what is systematic racism? Because I think I've tried to use this in some of my back and forth conversations with people and I don't even know if it's completely understood which I think there's a video out on the internet that is like a little cartoon that explains it pretty well but what is just like your understanding of that and someone who might be like well what even is that is there even systematic racism well I think um it's basically discrimination within systems and structures um, they 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 have procedures in place that prohibit or keep out a certain amount of people. So, um, so they're basically systems and structures that have procedures or processes that disadvantages African Americans in particular since we are talking about the black lives and they are the most disadvantaged um, minority so if we want to really take it back in to history when the land was given out amongst the majority population they were given land they were given opportunities for education and so that gave them a chance to be able to generate generational wealth from their family because we know that land is valuable and we know that education is valuable so way back then they were given the foundation to be able to create generational wealth for their families african americans were used as property So they did not accumulate property and they were not allowed to be educated. So that right there sets you behind all of the races. So once the systems were being processed and put into place, now you have a group of procedures that a certain amount of people cannot access because they either don't have the financial backing or the education or they don't have either and so now we can say well we have these we we just have these procedures and, and and anyone can work to meet them that's not absolutely true it is true because we have come a slight ways to where there are we are able to have education we are able to start to build some wealth but we are considerably behind because of that because of the lack of education and the lack of the ability to have that foundation to generate that generational wealth and so it's harder for us to get into that system because it was set up for people that could be included in the system 
So if none of that is ever taken down and torn apart, then we will always be outside of that in some way. We will all never have that equal opportunity because we never started on the same path. We all know there's some exceptions. You know, we look at entertainment, we look at sports and we say, well, you know, hey, you know, people are making money, people are doing this, people are generating wealth. But in the typical sense to where wealth is built and the procedures are placed, most people are kept out of that from the start. So that's a high level overview, I would say, of kind of how it started and what it looks like today. Yeah. And I wanted to ask that because I think there's, I think that systematic racism really does explain where some of these questions and why it's still coming up and are still coming up. I'm doing quotation marks um, in our present day is because I don't think people realize there is somewhat of a difference of being blatantly racist and you know making statements towards someone and being very hateful and then I feel like there's this uneducated misguided version of racism which comes from these systems being in place and just disregarding them and you know supporting leaders who also disregard them or also disregard certain races or sexualities and I think that's where it's another form of racism maybe you're not blatantly making Mm -hmm. comments or you're not I'm not racist (laughs) But if you don't choose to acknowledge those and back to that point, you know, that is still condoning and you're not striving towards making changes to those or just acknowledging that the systems are built off that that way of thinking. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's important to bring up the point of systematic racism, because I think it adds to the other side of the conversation when people say, well, I'm not racist, but maybe they have these biases or they don't realize the systems that they support and condone are part of a racist system. Yeah, I mean, structural racism, it presents, it gives structural, it gives, it literally gives structure to racism. It presents, it, I mean, it prevents or makes it more challenging for people of color to participate in society and in the economy. Structural racism, uh, it manifests itself in what people like to say separate. However, housing, the racial wealth gap, education, and policing are really intimately connected. If we just take a look at housing, in some areas, there's a disproportionate number of people in color, of color that are homeless, and they lack housing security. We know that a lot of the economy and wealth is built upon home ownership. So then you jump over to banking and, you know, they use, well, the term is just revised, but they say redlining, you know, redlining. Well, that kind of refers to a system where the banks and real estate industry, they determine which neighborhoods would get loans to buy homes and neighborhoods uh, where people of color live were outlined in like a red ink so they were deemed the riskiest to invest in so then what do you think happens in those populations there becomes a disparity of wealth and a disparity in housing safe affordable housing so 
it just manifests in different ways, like you're saying. And so it is, it is important to talk about that systemic racism because now all we did was just put some structure to it. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to the topic of women even because being on PYM, I've, you know, educated myself on that and being a female, I've chosen to educate myself on that topic. But I think a lot of times we disregard history or we feel like that was such a long time ago. Um, But realistically, segregation was still very recent. And even with women's rights, women still in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s didn't have corporate type jobs unless they're a receptionist or they were doing these female designated jobs. And so when I've gotten to arguments about being a feminist or standing up for women's rights or why do you need to have a women's rights or a women empowerment? Why not men empowerment? I said, because women are disproportionately, you know, there's a wage gap. There's things that haven't changed and certain, you know, being catcalled, that's not a choice, but less than 50 years ago, women were still treated that way. Women were still treated as somewhat as property. So once again, I'm bringing this up as like, those things do take time to change. And just because it was, oh, that was not like, you know, I wasn't even alive for women's rights movements. Well, it's still going on and there's still systems in place such as wage gap and then bringing it back to this conversation of people of color being underrepresented in those systems, it needs a change. And so that doesn't happen overnight and we can strive for it and we need to strive for it. But I think a lot of times people disregard the history and think that like this happened so long ago, but really it was quite recent and changes still need to be made just because certain laws are passed doesn't make racism go away or just because certain laws are passed doesn't make women's rights like completely equal to what men have. So I think it's just important to note the history and um, acknowledge it. Yeah, I would agree. I would, I would definitely agree with that because we like to be removed from it through history. However, if we really take a look at it and allow ourselves to acknowledge that it's happening now, then once again, we go back to that notion of, okay, it's not about what you would have done now it is what are you going to do because those systems that were put in place back then like I said it makes it not impossible but it makes it impossible for some and it's more challenging for others it makes some of these things that are in place it makes it fundamentally impossible for people to get loans so it's it's like an active way to enforce segregation in neighborhoods and and racism and not allow certain people to get jobs. I mean, that practice long ago, it prevented Black families from amassing and maintaining wealth in the same way that white families could. So that resulted in what we're seeing today. It resulted in the growth of the racial wealth gap and housing insecurity. So it just keeps persisting unless we go and dig into the system. You know, it's cute to paint something on the street. It's, um, you know, it's okay to march. It's okay for businesses to say we stand and we stand with LGBTQ and we we look out for minorities and women. However, we need to change the systems so that it is a true change and not just a painting 
a mm-hmm. policy, a, a policy that you hang up on your wall in your break room or something that you put at the bottom of your application. Yeah. Something I like that's come up recently too, is like, this is not a moment. It's a movement. Um, and it has to continue on. It can't just be something that's a graphic designed thing you post on your Instagram. Um, it has to be a continued effort, um, and a collective effort at that. So, yeah. And the other little quote that I think of is, you know, right now you said this is a huge time in history, not only for the pandemic, but once again with racial injustice. And I think I always ask myself the question, okay, I've read the history books. What side of history do I want to be on? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's just with anything, but we are in a monumental time. And I, you know, we're kind of, you get the choice to pick of the stances you want to take and the changes you want to advocate for. And where we are history right now. So what side of that do you want to stand on? And what do you want your kids to believe in and, and follow on or, you know, your family beyond you? Yes, exactly. This is, well, this is a movement, not a moment. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you so much for having this conversation with me and taking the time um, before we end the episode. Is there anything else that you'd want to share on the topic or just, let people know. I just want to make sure that we know that this is just a time where we all need to come together and not be divided. All of our voices need to be heard. People of color voices need to be uplifted. Contact your congressmen, write your state representatives, fill out those petitions, show up to those commission meetings. Just remember, it is a movement, not just a moment. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Nicole. I appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Pretty Young and Motivated podcast today. For today's quote of the episode, I'm sharing something that, of course, is relevant to the topic we talked about with racial injustice and COVID and any other controversial topic that you may run into having conversations about. So the quote is this, accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to acknowledge how your behavior harms others. And that quote is by Tamara Renee. Thank you again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of the Pretty Young and Motivated podcast. Talk soon.